0: If you're anything like me, you're booked and busy. From family duties and work responsibilities to catching up on your favorite shows and podcasts. Yes, like wrestling with Freddie. With me, Freddie Prinz Jr. With all the responsibilities we have, it's always nice to have someone in your corner. That's why State Farm is there for you with your auto and home insurance needs. Helping you protect the things you love and helping you save money. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. State Farm, proud sponsor of the Michael Tura Podcast Network. Life is full of surprises, some good. Some not so much. Hola, it's honey. Hola, it's Carolina. Y sabes que estar preparado para cualquier cosa es importante. Whether that's in our roles as mothers, wives, businesswomen, or podcasters. On our show Life in Spanglish, you know that being open to unexpected turns has been an important part of our success. Pero we can use some help. Oh, yes. La buena ayuda is welcome. Y si pasa algo, tranquilitos. Isn't it good knowing that with a state farm agent, you can worry less because someone will be personally invested in seeing. Safeguarding your goals. Plus, they have the options to talk to a real person whenever a customer needs, especially when those unexpected turns come up. It's the personalized attention you can count on. Aprende más en es.statefarm.com. Como un buen vecino, State Farm está ahí.
1: This is an official download from thecustardtv.com.
2: The Custard TV Podcast back again. For another week, filling your ears with all the TV you need to steer away from and all the stuff we'd like. I'm Luke, runner of the website, thecustardtv.com. Matt in the northern area. Hi. Why are you I'm so mean... chirpy? This is this is not normally you. This is not the you what, I'm what used to. No- what am I normally like? Well, you're just sort of monotone oh. and northern.
1: Oh, okay.
2: <laughs> that, that's like, that's more like... <laughs>
1: uh, uh... Oh, oh, all right.
2: How are we <laughs> Like that? Uh, yeah, a bit like that, yeah. Uh, this week uh, joining us uh, is site contributor and now podcast of his own, uh, Mr. Michael Lee. Hello.
3: Hello. So you do a podcast of your own now? It's getting there. It's getting more to where I want it to be. But do you know the worst thing about a podcast? And Luke, I know you're going to relate to this. Yes. Editing.
2: I hate it i hate it i tell you why i hate it is because you have a really interesting fun conversation i'm not promising that today but that often happens yeah. and you finish it and you go oh, wow we had a lovely chat and then you look at the file an hour and 10 minutes or whatever yes and you feel like you've had a cohesive conversation again i'm not promising that today and then you realize how often you go off on tangents, how often there's gaps, how often... In fact, let's not bother with this. I've put myself off.
3: I will throw a little plug out, just in case the Custard TV Manic Street Preacher audience is a Venn diagram. It's bound to
2: be a a crossover at some stage, yeah.
3: (laughs) It's called Manic Street Speakers. See what we did there?
1: Ooh! So is it (laughs) all Manic Street Preachers based? What's the concept? Uh, It's basically, yeah, we discuss songs
3: or tours they've been on or like new material it's just geeky and nerdy and oh, as long as it's my not
1: niche, that's all right then
3: and my girlfriend constantly says how can you talk about manic street preachers for like an hour i'm like mate i could talk about them for 30 years what are you on about well long may your podcast
2: continue for the 30 years now that you've set that gauntlet down Where can people find it if they want to listen to it? Uh,
3: It's on the usual places, Spotify, Acast, uh, Apple Music, that kind of thing.
2: So it's a new thing on the podcast, Michael, where it only started the last time we spoke to our last guest when I said, what's the most exciting thing or interesting thing that's happened to you of late? And you, before we even started recording, you let us in a little bit into the wonders of your life at the
3: moment. I've been battling with slug juice, yes. You say this like this is something we should all know about. It's not a well-known term. I should start with, I have a bit of a fear of slugs and snails. When I was younger, I nearly ate one. I was eating a bowl of cereal. Uh, I was looking down at the spoon that I was about to put in my mouth, and there was a slug with his little eyes looking up at me in the spoon. So I've had a bit of a thing about slugs and snails since, and, and then I thought I was pregnant. I was thought I had like <laughs> loads of oh, loads of snails, snails in me, and I no. thought I was going to give birth to loads of snails. I was young. Basically, we've been sorting out the outhouse today. I call it the utility room. My girlfriend calls it the outhouse because she's posh. Now, now, what does that mean? Is it in the home or not in the home? It's it's in the home. That's why I don't call it an outhouse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's basically where we have a tumble dryer, just like excess stuff, where we put the dog food yeah, and all that kind of right.
1: thing. she's right, Matt. Is she right? That's the utility room, surely. Yeah. Oh well, no, Michael says it's a utility room. Yeah, but it's his go- it's girlfriend girl. who's calling it outhouse. Well, we yeah. we can't. Yeah, never... You're not paying attention to what he's saying. There's right? there's, a, there's, a, <laughs> there's a lot going on, Matt. I'm just <laughs> trying to keep up. My, Michael, <laughs> Michael's right. It's a yeah. utility room because it's cause he's connected room. to the house. Yeah, is yeah. it just off your kitchen as well? It is. Yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely your yes. utility room. room. Is it where <laughs> the dog's bed is? Uh, no,
3: no, we're not cruel.
2: Come so, on, now. Look, it's cold it's, out there. Why is it cold if it's just off the kitchen? It should be a. It's same... just
3: cold because our end of the house, where the kitchen, and the utility room is, there's no radiator. Mm. So if there's just... no radiators
1: <laughs> in it, then that is going to be cold.
3: Luke. <laughs> so we we've been sorting out the utility room. And basically, because we live in an old house, it's about 100 years old. It's basically little nooks and crannies where slugs can get in and wet weather like this. So I had a a, a suitcase with basically loads of slug trails on it. And I went to put my hand in a bag where we put like keep the dog's toys and a bit of his food and stuff. And there was a big fat dead slug and I just freaked out like a five year old child. So, I can't stand them. Just go. So what awake. about what about the juice, though? Um, I had to scrub it off. I was given a brush. <laughs> I didn't want to do this job. I had to scrub it off with a little brush, which apparently is is designed for these things. So I had to, I took a picture of of the suitcase. It was disgusting. So that's
2: yeah, my life. Luke and Matt.
3: This could be a podcast. A podcast. Don't you have to be some sort of whiz kid to do those? Uh, definitely not. Anyone with a computer can
0: make one. Talking telly. Use your ears and trust them.
1: This is the Custard TV Podcast.
0: Yes, that would entertain me briefly. From
1: thecustardtv.com.
2: So, on the podcast this week, a couple of shows to talk about. Netflix has a new drama if you can call it that, behind her eyes. BBC One is uh, to me, is uh, releasing Jed Mercurio's first show from his production company, not from him. It's called Bloodlands. It started on Sunday. Unforgotten is back for its long-awaited fourth series. And because it's all finished on the telly, the three of us are going to talk about It's a Sin on Channel 4 and HBO Max in its entirety so that because it's all been on now, we can spoil it, we can talk about the intricacies of the plot and everything we enjoyed about it. Um, first of all, though, Michael, before we get to that, I've seen a lot of people say about one of the shows we're going to talk about, it's completely bonkers, it's objectively awful, but I couldn't stop watching it. Do you have There's that mechanism? no way to speak
3: about Unforgotten.
2: Come well, on. no, we'll get to Unforgotten. <laughs> Do do you have that mechanism in you? Do you enjoy bonkers stuff?
3: I would normally say no, but I remember watching The Stranger last year or whenever it was out, and I did kind of binge watch it because it was so ludicrous. But if if it's ludicrous and entertaining, I think you can go along with it. If it's ludicrous and boring, that's a different matter. And I I, I think we should go on to
1: behind our eyes really if we if we're starting with this discussion. Oh, how did you know it was that, (laughs) Matt? Because, you know, just brilliant like that. Not an awful lot happened in this first episode. So, Simona Brown's character, Louise, she's a single mum. She works uh, half a week as a receptionist. I'm guessing it's like a therapist's office. Yeah. We see her getting out to go for a night out with a friend. It's a psychiatrist's office. Yeah. Psychiatrist office, okay. We see her getting dressed up to go out with a friend. The first night in the town in a while. Friend stands her up. She decides to leave when she realizes a friend isn't coming and knocks straight into a very attractive man, David, played by Tom Bateman. They start having a conversation, uh they leave the, the bar together, have a bit of a smooch, realise it's wrong, and then Don't you just know it? It turns out he's her new uh, employer, her new boss, the new uh, psychiatrist at the office. Um, But they decide just to keep things amiable. Uh, We're also introduced to David's wife, Adele. They've got a intriguing relationship, quite cold at some times. There's something in her past. We see a a flashback with, with Adele where she's in what seems like an asylum or an institution or something like that. Uh, Louise is also having these weird sort of dreams where she's dreaming that she's had an overdose and her son finds her. Um, but then there, there might be something where she found her mum having an overdose. And I'm going to go into my review now, because I know Luke, you just mentioned that, you know, the the people saying, oh, it was it was awful, but I couldn't stop watching. And, you know, I, I mean, I've done that in the past. If something is is way out bonkers. And I know we spoke about this when, the Drowning was on when we were last podcasting. And and I can see why people would continue with that. You know, that sets out its stall early, you know exactly what it's about, and the the performances are really heightened and it is very schlocky. And and there's been stuff like that in the past where I felt quite similar about it. But in the case of this, I really struggled to know exactly what it was about. You know, at the end of the first episode, I've only watched one. I couldn't tell you what the plot really is. And I don't know if that makes sense to to either of you, because we get, you know, a little bit at the beginning or is it going to be where she's having an affair with her boss? You know, is it going to be one of those, you know, like a fatal attraction or something like that? You know, he's, he's a married man, but then it sort of shifts to, oh, is it about this this relationship, this marriage? You know, Louise is is set up as the the, the main characters to start off with uh but then she disappears for about 10 minutes halfway through so we can focus on adele and david and the big cliffhanger to bring us back at the end of the first episode is oh louise and adele have met mo- for the first time and they're going for a coffee
2: well the thing is i think netflix doesn't need to worry about cliffhanger endings because it just assumes you're going to watch the next one. Oh, well, they assume wrong
1: they assume wrong <laughs>
2: um let me just say that all I knew about this going for going forward before watching it was that it was a hugely divisive uh, novel that ha- uh, developed the hashtag WTF that ending. And so I had to look up the ending after I'd seen the episode because, like you, that first episode, if you're completely new to the material, as I'm guessing the trio of us are, it doesn't really tell you a lot. It doesn't really explore the world it doesn't tell you who these people really are it doesn't tell you of anything going forward there are no real hooks in that first episode the dialogue i have a complete issue with eve Houston as adele is good but she's also very peculiar it's a shame because i love eve Houston in the nick uh, a couple of years ago that we never reviewed on the podcast and i keep waiting for her to get the breakout role that she deserves and unfortunately again this isn't it but it, it's just it just feels like what it is i suppose so maybe it's not a maybe it's not a thing to say wrong about it but it's just a trashy piece of television it's a, presumably a trashy novel and they're not trying very hard to make it but a compelling piece of I, television
1: I, th- I think luke though there's a difference between as, as michael said like the stranger last year i can understand why well, that people had can... hooks yeah well, I understand why people continued with that because there is that element of mystery and they set out yeah. their stall early on. The same with, you know, as I said, The Drowning and, and I felt yeah. that way about the capture. You know, I, I, I didn't feel like the characters were particularly well drawn. And I think there's a difference between a, a well-written show, like I suppose we're going to talk about Unforgotten in a bit, and this, and a show that's got a good story and keeps you yeah. hooked, despite the fact that. that it's... Despite the fact that it's got, and, and I know you struggle with these, where the dialogue's quite trite, the characters don't feel realistic, that's when you struggle. But and yeah. I, I don't mind that from time to time. But this didn't even have that. It almost felt like the scenes were all out of order. It didn't, like, add up or anything. The Just only nothing,
2: made, I, nothing the, the, only, the only thing I will say is, having read what the ending is, I do understand why it's like that, but that's no but they don't want they don't want they do don't that. want you to do that, do yeah. they They want you to watch it as a six piece drama yeah. so that that's not in its defense either, but it was just so clunky, so disorientating, not a fun experience at all didn't draw me in very trite as you say very po faced even the and I hate this term, although it's an acceptable term. The meat cute between them was just so clumsy and done a million times before and a million times better in other things.
1: Literally clumsy.
2: Yes, literally. Butterfingers. I, just, I just, I couldn't get on with it as you might expect. It had everything about it that I just dislike and disrespect in a piece of dramatic television and when i read what the ending was it was 100% not for me and i would urge anyone to find out what that ending is because you will not believe what the end you will people read the book and were so invested in the book and got to the end of it and could not believe where this story goes you will not i cannot tell you how bonkers it goes and it is not the story you you thought you were watching In that first episode. You just have to Google it yourself. It's bonkers.
3: Here's the thing. If the intrigue is better than the story being told. Then why bother with the story? Because they're setting up lots of things. They're trying to say they've got a dark past. They're trying to say this relationship, this affair is interesting. I don't know why it's interesting. But apparently it's interesting. But it's very slow. I'd heard a lot of things about this saying, oh, yes, it is bonkers. Yes, it's tacky. It's quite, you know, in your face. So I expected something more energetic and a bit more pulpy, but it's so slow. It uh, is tedious.
1: Even if they'd had like a full blown affair, do you know what I mean? In this first episode, if they'd met during work and then had another hook up, then it would be, but they they'd met, kissed a little bit, regretted it, and then nothing else happened.
3: Yeah, I think they're hinting there's a possessive nature to, apologise, I can't remember the character's names. the the Scottish guy. David. He could be the one with the dark past and she got sent down for it. I am so desperate
2: to tell you what the ending is.
3: (laughs) Or or she's done something wrong. But to me, it just felt like a really even worse version of Fifty Shades of Grey because those two leads even look a bit like Jamie Dornan and Dakota Johnson. There's even that kind of Those actors came straight to mind, didn't
2: they? That was interesting. Not a second's hesitation on Janie Dornan and Dakota Johnson. You've seen that film a couple of times. (laughs) I've
3: been forced to watch it.
2: But you are absolutely right what you're saying, yeah. Even if we take out my thing about believability, take that out because it doesn't apply to all shows as much as I would love it to. So sit that down, ignore that.
3: There's just no chemistry and no hooks here. No, I don't know episode. the I don't know the ending. I know uh, from what I've heard there is a really mad ending. I I known that going into watching it. Yeah. I was getting some supernatural vibes watching it. There's an uneasy or unrealistic feeling about it.
2: Uh, did that did that make you want did, did you make make you want to persist because you want to get to that ending however ridiculous
3: I don't know, but now, but it's kind
2: of like I say, the intrigue that it's a ridiculous ending, kind of. I think they're banking on that. I think they they will know that enough people will be aware that all they know about this material is it's got a bonkers ending and they, because I didn't care about it at all, but I immediately had to Google to see what the I,
1: ending I'd, was. I'd never heard of this novel either. No. i never heard of I'd, I didn't really know anything about it. And actually, Luke, I have just read the ending and I'm a bit of a WTF yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's... <laughs> yeah. From what I'm reading right now, yeah, you wouldn't get any of that from that first episode, no. and I still, it still doesn't make sense why it was placed in that order or anything like that. It just does. It just doesn't make sense. But are it, we the only
3: over thi- reason I got supernatural vibes was, firstly, the music, the weird, unsettling music, and secondly, the dream sequences. Mm.
1: Nice.
3: Do you want to know the ending,
2: Michael? Do you want to know the um, ending?
1: You'll
2: no, because annoyingly,
3: I am intrigued. <laughs> oh,
1: you fool. You're not going to keep watching this, are you, Michael?
3: <laughs> I probably will, because I'm an idiot.
1: Oh, oh you Michael. You are an
3: idiot. <laughs> you are...
2: C- Please send in that link with the ending in and then text- no, okay. read that. No.
1: Oh, God, you yeah, are an idiot. <laughs> because that's not fair. And if he wants okay. to watch it, he shouldn't be, you know, bullied <laughs> into should. not watching it. If um, I thought
2: he was going to watch it, I wouldn't have invited him on.
3: I just felt like, why do we care about this relationship with these people having an affair, first and foremost? That, I, that's the overriding feeling I got when I the first episode ended. What does it matter? I know there's going to be some weird thing with the wife and they formed a friendship, uncertain friendship, mm-hmm. but is that any relevance to what go goes on at the end? It's something to do with a ghost. I'm going to go with a ghost. No. No. Well, okay. No.
2: Okay, um if you want to if if like Michael you are a complete idiot, then <laughs> <laughs> you can binge all of Netflix. But all all of it now on Netflix. I do wonder whether we're wrong to look at these Netflix shows on an episodic basis because I think they expect their their viewers, their subscribers to view their shows in one big lump pretty much. Because as you say, that episode, if that was on our...
0: You ever heard the phrase,
2: the more things change, the more things stay the same? And while we love the excitement of new things, it's also nice to have the reliability of something constant. Hey, it's Wilmer Valderrama. And when it comes to insurance, State Farm is a good neighbor you can count on. Solo llama a tu agente. Another way State Farm helps is by supporting the creators and storytellers of the Michael Tudor Podcast Network family. With the ayuda of State Farm, we are helping and de that our voices are heard. Como a good neighbor, State Farm is Learn more at es.statefarm.com
4: We started our company, Girls to Do Interiors, before we even graduated design school.
1: And we turned to Chase for Business to build along with us. They had everything from banking to payment acceptance to credit cards all in one place. And with the Chase Mobile app, our business is wherever we are. It's made for business owners who build to inspire. Learn more at ChaseForBusiness.com. Make more of what's yours.
0: Real customers compensated. Chase Mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. JPMorgan Chase Bank and a member of the IC.
1: My
2: TV, there'd be absolutely no reason to come back based upon that. There'd be no, if at ad breaks, there'd be no reason to come back after the first ad break. So I think they just... They're just hoping that enough... The word will get round that this has got a bonkers ending that somebody like Michael is going to waste five hours of his life now (laughs) getting to. And that will be enough to hook people. Because I did feel compelled to look up that ending, as Matt has just done. So in that respect, it works. But as 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 a first hour or 45 minutes, whatever it is, it's disappointing, it's dull... Yeah, I didn't enjoy it at all. Behind her eyes on Netflix is ultimately when Michael gets to the end is a waste of time. (laughs) But oh god, okay, that's on Netflix now. I feel like actually what happened there is you talked yourself round at the end.
3: I kind of did, didn't I?
2: Yeah. I don't reckon you'll watch it. I think you heard us.
3: People are saying it's such a mad ending that I kind of want to get there.
1: But you Google, see, I it. mean, I think I, you know, I hadn't read that at all. You know, what I had read was, oh, it's so bonkers, but I want to, get, you know, people were hooked in by the first episode. That's how I read it anyway. Uh, but obviously it's just one of those things where people ha- have knowledge of this being such a, yeah. a crazy novel. But just as you say, based on one episode, not having Netflix just automatically play you the next episode straight away. As you say, if this was on the telly, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to continue with it. You'd be like, what, no. the, what the hell was that? What, what yeah. did I just watch? The majority of people who've enjoyed it, they
2: know it's bad. They know that the dialogue's bad. They know the characters are bad. They know the performances aren't that good. But they're still compelled. And I can't, I can't understand why you would watch
1: something that you know is bad. But I have done that in the past, and I think you know if you are hooked something in. Something like
2: cheat, for example, you did
1: it with cheat. Yeah, you? yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but that was that was. It's an easy watch. It's something that it it is intriguing because what's the connection between these characters? Why? What's the obsession? Because that that at least played well on the obsession thing that Molly Windsor had this obsession with Catherine Kelly. Where did that come from? I want to see where this is going. It's only three episodes let's see where it's going but you know objectively it wasn't very good but you you can't see that you can't see no. you're just going to watch it for enjoyment's purpose you know just to have a a, a schlocky ending i you think the to... closest
2: i've come is the affair which i i could see ruth wilson dominic west at the top of their game and they were having fun and i i like that world of the The lobster roll in, I forget where it was, but I I like that sort of setting in the world, and they grounded it for me, and everything around it was bonkers. So I suppose that's the closest I've
1: come. At the end of the day, you know, everything we're watching here is fiction, but you like to think that it's real, and that's a bit weird, isn't it? I think. No, I like (laughs) to think that,
2: no, not that it's real, not that it's real. I'm not going, you know, I like to think that it could happen. Hmm, okay. You know, because Breaking Bad isn't real, it's my favourite TV show yeah. of all time, but it could happen that somebody with a chemistry background who finds out he's got cancer, needs to pay all his bills, uses his cancer, uses his chemistry background to further the lifestyle of his family and leave a, leave a legacy, but gets, gets in too deep, blah, blah, blah. Ridiculous, but could happen. It's the sort of thing they'd have at the end of the news, you know, that crazy bit at the end of the news and if you believe it then i find it easier to
1: go along with but, but you um, you can't watch something that you don't believe in is no, what you're saying not right really. okay a lot of people like that about fiction and like things that they they don't believe in and things that are you know a bit bonkers a bit So you know, that's some, why sci-fi yeah. is so huge but yeah, it's
2: just yeah. you know i So you're get... cutting
1: off an entire genre just because you're you know <laughs> you're very fixed on a certain idea
2: well, yeah, because I just don't care about spaceships mm. <laughs> and what what could and, and oh, uh, wait. you know.
1: I won't, I won't. have a go at you anymore because we're. Going, no, <laughs> we're we've got.
2: Don't embarrass me in front of company. Okay. <laughs> you two are like a married couple today. I know. Yeah, today.
1: Just, just today.
2: <laughs> okay.
1: You're listening to the Custard TV podcast, the official podcast of the CustardTV So
2: next up. Uh, this is a uh, four-part drama on the BBC One. This is a brand-new drama from Jed Mercurio's production company. Uh, it stars Jimmy Nesbitt. It starts off with a car being pulled out of a lock, uh, and the owner's been kidnapped, and DCI Tom Bar- Brannick, played by Jimmy Nesbitt, recognises the calling card of an assassin killer that he worked on 20 years previously called Goliath. While he was a a serving police officer, he was in charge of this Goliath case, which was brutal murders and even resulted in the death of his own wife. And so when this killer appears to resurface again, it opens up new wounds for uh, James Nesbitt's character Tom, and he struggles to find closure and even hides that he recognises the calling card, which is a postcard that he finds uh, from his new work colleagues. It's also set in Northern Ireland, so there's a lot of talk about the Troubles and the religions there, and how conflicted they still are. And, yeah, I watched this a long time ago. Uh, So, Michael, what did you think of the first ep of of Bloodlands?
3: I will get out of the way the things I didn't like about it first. Uh, the very grey tone. I was watching on my laptop, and I kept on trying to put the the adju- color adjustment up because <laughs> it's so grey. It's uh, Northern Ireland. Thing- yeah, true. The very shaky camera. I think, in in the sense that I know it's not a Jed Mercurio show, but early line of duty was a bit too shaky for me.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. Uh, James Nesbitt's gritty Bafterface. face. But generally, I think this had a lot of positives. I know, like some people were criticising it, but I think. A lot happened in this first episode. They they set up what happened in the past. They're setting up where it's going in the future. They used all the characters well. Like, for example, like DS McGovern actually asking him what was going on. For, they used that for exposition really well rather than him, like, almost talking to the camera going, well, this happened and then that in that year and now I'm going to do that. They used her as that foil and I think that's really good. It had kind of weird, like, moments of humour in as well, like their relationship was kind of very abrupt, and she had asked like, are you hiding something from me, and he just goes, yes, get back to work, (laughs) and little things like that I kind of liked. Um, Yeah, I I generally came out of it quite positive. Will you be watching on, considering you've got to
2: find time for this, and behind her eyes?
3: (laughs) Well, because this is weekly, you see, I'll I'll finish behind her eyes. You see? See? I say, yeah,
2: you'll race through behind her eyes. That's what you'll be doing as soon as we hang up from this podcast. <laughs> then you'll have plenty of time to do Bloodlands, that's true. I disagree with almost all of your points. Where you thought that that expositional dialogue was really used correctly and used well to sort of have him tell the story to her. For me, it just seemed as if they were barraging us with a load of expositional stuff that we didn't know, and they were trying to catch us up and it didn't feel uh didn't feel authentic to me. I also think that it 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 moved at quite a slow pace for me in, in terms of it's only got the four episodes it's got four hours to use. And I really struggled. I have to be honest. Matt often says this, and it it doesn't happen for me very often. But it did take me two sittings to watch this because, as you say, with the colour palette, it's quite dour. It's it, James Nesbitt is acting his socks off, but it's I'm almost too aware that that's what he's doing. He's he. I love James Nesbitt. I've always loved him. I think he's incredibly underrated. But here it was. If you'd have told me that I was reviewing the new series of Murphy's Law, I would have gone, yeah, that's fine. Feels like an episode of Murphy's Law. It didn't feel anything new, anything fresh. And I just felt like I could feel all the twists and turns coming. Um, So I was slightly disappointed because Jed Mercurio, although he's not involved in the writing, he has sort of guided this new writer... And we are accustomed to expecting from him these big shocks, these big twists and turns. And it was more of a generic, normal hour of television where you could imagine that you were watching it long, long ago. It didn't. It hasn't stuck with me. I didn't remember the characters' names particularly. I th- I just thought it was fine, but nothing that I'll remember next week when I go. Oh, what's on Sundays on BBC One? Oh yeah, Bloodlands is still on. I I just didn't connect with it enough.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I'm somewhere in the middle, really, on this. I think one thing that neither of you mentioned, really, I know, Luke, you mentioned it in your summation, was the sort of impact of, you know, as you said, the troubles in Northern Ireland, the Good Friday Agreement, how a lot Mm. of the stuff that's happened historically in this initial investigation into Goliath, was sort of swept under the rug because of the sort of the jubilation when that Good Friday agreement was signed and 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 them not wanting to rock the boat by yeah. by going into it. and i I did feel to an extent that you needed a good working knowledge of that, you know, they didn't really go into that very much, you know, that time. And and I felt like to an extent that would be alienating, certainly a younger audience, you know, if there okay, is a younger audience watching yeah. this. I mean, obviously, you know, Derry Girls are sort of, reju- you know, rejuvenated that time to an extent, if that makes sense, you know, that, yeah. that more it's people it are aware of fall, it. And, and fall, I know, mo. I know the, the fall as well had, you know that lurking in the background and uh, but they didn't use it as explicitly as as bloodlands has that's a
2: very good be. point it assumes that the audience that's a very good point that I, maybe that's Thank another you. reason <laughs> it, it assumes that the audience knows what the characters have been through mm. and the importance of it that's a good point yeah. I, I
1: mean i i think i'm like you i did really struggle to start off with because it just sort of plunged you in to where we were not really sort of explaining a lot I know we met we met tom and his daughter and it was like his daughter's was it a birthday party or something yeah. like that and and you know we've got the the image of the dead wife the dead mother sort of lurking there's also the weird subplot with this doctor that he meets and then she's her she's the daughter's tutor yes. uh, and 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 I don't know where that all links in either. That's a bit, but that all all felt sort of, you know, surplus. As the plot wore on, and as things start, I mean, this at least did have that hook that it does leave you with, uh, you know, a, an uns- you know, that the, they've unearthed something that they previously was unsolved. You've got that. You've got the this, you know, what's going on next? Who's who's behind this? That there, there is intrigue there, and that did. Ramp up as it went on, but mm. I just found I think I found the pace yeah. too slow to for me. It reminded me of the Dublin Murders. It was a similar feeling to that that right. I just couldn't. I, other people enjoyed it, but I just couldn't latch onto it. As you say, James Nesbitt. He, I, I think he's really strong, but as Earl well as Michael said. He's putting on his to face. He's doing yeah. he's doing his acting. Those scenes did have an element of uh, touch of cloth to them yeah. for me as well. But yeah, I mean, I, I I can understand why people would like this. But for me, it was just there wasn't enough to to no. sort of get get me hooked.
2: And it's uh, funny you mentioned Dairy Girls because there was two cast members pop up in that first episode. Mm-hmm. And that that I- Ian your... McLean,
1: oh. Ian McClend- who's the granddad, isn't he? Yeah in in very and,
2: and uh one of the mothers as well as the uh yes. the wife of the disappearing uh, is it mother.
1: kathy kira clark yes. she's yeah yeah okay so
2: Michael's oh can i just for... say
1: though i i did like the actress who played the the ds Charlene mckenna i thought she was very good and she was a good sort of you know counterpoint to james nesbitt's performance on the uh,
2: it's a shame because i wanted to like this and
1: and to be fair luke if i hadn't have been watching it for this i don't think i would have watched past those first 15 20 minutes where i Blood. found it so slow bloodlands
2: yeah. uh, michael is gonna continue to watch it alongside behind her eyes now something awful is <laughs> about i know what's coming i know exactly what's coming and i'm dreading it so let's do it it's the return of unforgotten <laughs> on monday i know what's coming he's like two of the three shows we're talking about um unforgotten series four it's been a long time coming we've been waiting i think almost two and a half years for series four matt and gary and i in the old incarnation of the podcast have talked in length about everything we like about the show and if you have been listening for a long time you will know that we'll try not and repeat the same things um but, Michael, when I invited you onto the podcast, I couldn't remember if you were one of those people that loved Unforgotten or not. What, what has your experience been like it up to this point?
3: Indifferent, I think's the word, really. I've tried... I think it was the start of both Series 2 and Series 3, and I don't think I got beyond the first couple of episodes of either.
2: Well, Series 2 is a masterpiece, so again. I mean, <laughs> um, so, for... Starts with Cassie played by Nicola Walker. She's been off work a while. Uh, Her father uh, has developed early onset uh, dementia. It's really affecting him badly. It's causing him to forget things and to be ratty uh, with those around him and she's struggling with that. She's also struggling with the fact that you might remember that the last series they actually caught a serial killer. That was the end result of series three. So she's been off work. She's not long away from her 30 years in the police and collecting a full pension. She goes to her boss and asks for this time away, and he says, well, not really. So she says, well, if I've got to come back, I may as well come back and do what I always do, work with Sonny, uh, a.k.a. Sanjeev Pascal, and the team, and uncover a crime from years gone by. Um, So in previous series, we've had a man in a suitcase... We've had uh, a man under a motorway, and in this series it starts with half a man in a discarded fridge that somebody has taken out of a house of a guy who's uh, had a heart attack and died all of a sudden. In his house was a fridge that they find in the scrapyard, and inside it uh, a man with uh, no arms, no head, so basically the torso and an arm, I think, of this gentleman. Uh, And then, as Unforgotten works, alongside this police investigation, we meet a group of seemingly unconnected people uh, going about their everyday lives. So we've got Susan Lynch uh, and Sheila Hancock as this mother and daughter. Sheila Hancock's character is really dismissive of everything uh, that Susan Lynch is trying to do for her. She says, I'm just going to lie in bed and wait for death because everyone I, I loved and cared about and want to be a part of my life is already dead, so what's the point of living? So we've got her trying to come to terms with uh, the demise of her mother and also the fact that she's getting married and we're not quite sure who they are and how they fit. That's how Unforgotten works. Then there is a an, a new family uh, headed by Liz Smith of Life on Mars. N- well, I've not Liz seen... White. Liz White. Liz White. Liz Smith of the Royal Family. Liz White of Life on Mars. Who I that would be have... impressive. That would be. That would be proper Liz Smith four years yeah, ago. <laughs> that would be good. Uh, Liz Smith. No, Liz no! White. <laughs> Christ. Liz White. She plays this sort of head of this blended family who are trying to set up medical facilities and doing all that. Then there is an Indian family that are involved as well. So there's all these... Seemingly unconnected people and I think it's important that we spool the quote-unquote twist at the end of the episode now We'll say this is podcast is coming out on Tuesday if you've seen uh, The first episode and you're happy for us to talk about it We will if not stop here and wish forward to it's a sin because I will say that they do find out that the the dead man in the fridge and the other people that were in the car with him were ex-Coppers. We're left with this idea that all of these people that we've met are presumably, or could be, the five other Coppers uh, that were part of that passing out celebration. Four, four, four four, other. Four, sorry, four other. Uh, And what do they know about how this man ended up, sort of half a man, if you will, uh, in 1990 and ending up in a fridge? So that is what Unforgotten is about this, this series, tackling um, police and what it means to be part of that early career and who and the direction their lives have gone as they didn't, they were unable to complete. Selling your car to
4: Carvana is as easy as. As
0: easy as pie?
4: Sure. All you have to do is enter your license plate or bin.
0: As easy as a stroll in the park.
4: Okay, then just answer a few questions and you'll get a real offer in seconds.
0: As easy as
4: singing! Why not? Schedule a pickup or drop-off, and Carvana will pay you that amount right on the spot.
0: As easy as playing guitar. Actually, I find that kind of difficult.
4: But selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... Can be. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get an instant offer today. Well, well, well. Shopping for a car?
0: Yep. Carvana made financing a car as smooth as can be. Oh, yeah? I got pre-qualified instantly and had real terms personalized just for me.
4: Hmm. Doesn't get much smoother
0: than that. Well, I got to browse thousands of car options on Carvana all within my budget.
4: Doesn't get much smoother than that.
0: It does. I actually wanted a car that seemed out of my range, but I was able to add a cosigner and found my dream car.
4: It doesn't get much... Oh,
0: it gets smoother. It's getting delivered tomorrow.
4: Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get pre-qualified today.
0: ...lead their
2: life's dream and enter the police properly. Uh, we'll start with Michael because you, start, you said at the start you were indifferent. Bear in mind, behind our eyes and bloodlines... You both said <laughs> did in, did enough to make you want to continue on. What about uh, this?
3: I, I sense you're going to be angry with me.
2: There's a good chance. I'm already quite angry. If I'm honest, <laughs> I can there's tell. a good there's a good chance. Go on,
3: Luke. I like you, but even you describing what was happening was boring me. <laughs> really, it just doesn't. It just doesn't grab you. Ju- no, it was so slow. Firstly, it was I- so slow. Secondly, the twist at the end, yes, I suppose the, the twist is that they're coppers. But other than that, you know that all those people are going to be linked or suspects at the end. So it wasn't this this grand reveal of a twist, it was just the fact that they were police. I don't think that makes much of a difference. Um, and I don't know, everyone looked bored. I love Nicola Walker, but even the cast looked bored. Matt, how do you
1: feel about Unforgotten? <laughs> I get where Michael's coming from. To be fair, I do too. Because I I think, to an extent, to enjoy this, you have to have that relationship with the characters. I think, you know, for me, it felt a bit like a warm hug. I forgot how much I enjoyed the theme tune. (laughs) our initial i think we liked it in the certainly in the first series and into the second series is that the 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 characters of cassie and sunny you know didn't have their own storylines really you know it was all about them as coppers that team who i still like who are i i feel are very sort of believable as these sort of career coppers the last series where she did act unprofessionally towards the Alex Jennings character, as you say, who was a serial killer. And this, and this first episode was a lot more story about her. Whereas in previous series, the focus would have been this man in the freezer and these other four characters. Again, as Michael said, you know, you do, ha- you do know where it's going now that these four characters are going to be connected. I mean, again, I, what I liked about series one is that they all had a connection to the victim but they weren't connected to each other whereas subsequent right, series yeah. there's been much more of a connection between the four characters who oh. are linked to to the victim to the deceased but I, I i did like it i you know it did compel me and and i i you know whereas the other two see the other two shows especially bloodlands i really struggled with i felt this this worked at, at quite a pace i think Some of the secondary characters were more intriguing than others. I I, I think... That's um, often the case, I find. Yeah, I, 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 and I think you know, for example, I struggled with Susan Lynch. I think I found her character a little bit off-putting, uh, but I think maybe that's the point. I think as well, it's interesting that they're all sort of scattered across places. I did enjoy say, seeing South Hall on screen because I—that's I, where I did uh, some of my teacher training, so that was quite quite nice to see that again. I also like, I suppose, playing the the guessing game to an extent. You know, that there was little things there that links the characters three of the four you saw like strange relationships with parents to an extent and you don't know if that is linked to something so you did have susan lynch with sheila hancock you had the gentleman who lived in south hall and his relate you know you saw him his mum doted over him and his dad was very dismissive of him and then you saw the the andy nyman character writing a mother's day card for his mum uh, but being very sort of surreptitious in sending it so what's the link there you know you're, you're making those links in your head there's also and I didn't really pay much attention to it but you know we, we know with Unforgotten in the opening sequence there's always those visual clues that give you a little bit extra and I, I liked all that I think the bit for me that I didn't really like was and it's a bit odd to say it but the stuff with Cassie's dad and the, and the dementia that all felt a bit generic like we'd seen it before uh, and and it just felt like everything was piling on top of cassie in this series and i i just felt i think the the initial joy of this program was that the, the coppers were just mm. you know normal people i know obviously we need that extra and we've been through this journey with them and we understand why they are like they are now but i i, I think it almost feels like there's too much focus on cassie even though we love nicola walker
2: I, w- I would agree with you only because I, I loved those sort of heart to heart scenes that Peter Egan and Nicola Walker mm. would have as father and daughter. And now those have been cruelly stripped away uh, because they've got this dementia plot and he's more violent towards us, speaks his mind, is properly vicious in his language. And I did, I suppose that's a way of, like the character, I miss those. Daughter and father times that I enjoyed round the kitchen table in those first three series. I think it does matter, as you said, that we've got this, the the two of us and Gary have got this connection going right the way back and we understand the intricacies and the fact that these aren't shouty policemen, these are, by the book, police officers who work the cases and ordinarily don't let their personal lives drift into dramatics and stuff and that's what I love about the show and I'm hoping that that will get get more and more the case as we go on although Cassie is definitely haunted by what has happened before I do like the twist about the policeman because I think the thing with a show like Unforgotten and Line of Duty to a degree you expect something from it and it has to keep reinventing itself to become interesting and I do trust Chris Lang, because he takes his time with these things. For me, it wasn't plodding. For me, it was a great episode of Unforgotten.
3: I think the problem for me is I've met the same brick wall that I've had when I've tried Unforgiven before, is that... You might be watching the wrong ve- show if you're watching Unforgiven. It's, it's it's very safe. It's very formulaic. You kind of know where it's going. It's very, dare I say, you, you alluded to it earlier, it's very ITV. And... It's not
2: formulaic. It's the the process is perhaps feels formulaic, but the storytelling isn't formulaic.
1: I, I wouldn't say, based on prior series, that you ever quite know where, where Unforgotten is going in terms of the outcome. Every reveal it's had, especially that Series 2 reveal, which I thought was quite intricately done...
2: Properly stunning. Yeah, yeah I, sure.
1: the, the show has sort of changed or has sort of, you know, the, the expectations of the series have changed every time. And I, I, I think it's wrong to say that, because I think, as you say, like, Chris Lang always pulls something surprising out of the bag in each, mm. each of these series. The,
2: the, I suppose the problem, though, if you're just watching the first one, the first episode of each series will always be a body being discovered and meeting people who are either connected to it or not. Because of the way this series is structured, that is the way every ep- every first episode of a show is gonna be. Monday night's Unforgotten Series 4.
1: We'd love to hear from you. Drop us an email. CustardTvReviews mm-hmm. at gmail.com
2: Let's all agree that It's a Sin is a good show. Can we agree on that at least?
3: No, it's rubbish.
2: Oh god. <laughs> I'm joking. So We spoke about this a few weeks ago, but we could only talk about episode one as it aired. And this has had a strange thing that I think is every channel's dream, is that it all went up, as so many of these shows do, on the all-four platform. You could binge it all after the Friday night. But what has happened is loads of people like me have done that, and then subsequently come back and watched it on a Friday night, because it is that damn good, and you want to revisit these characters, you want to remember them, you want to be in their lives for a bit longer, you want to experience it communally, and that is what every channel strives for, is to have that binge-ability, and also that built-in audience coming back at nine times out of ten, that doesn't pan out the way they want. But It's a Sin, being an absolute masterpiece, and an essential piece of television drama, just happens to have that magic ingredient um how quickly did you watch them michael
3: i watched it all in one day wow. and that was how long ago uh i think it was the weekend it came out two or three weeks uh well, about day. a month ago i think it was are you have you a- you're a doctor who fan right i think or I uh one? iffy iffy and okay. i'm I'm not, a, no, not a big fanboy. So, man.
2: so what is your? But you loved Years and Years, didn't you? From, from loved
3: Years story? and Years, and actually, I think there's weirdly some parallels between Years and Years and this in terms of the way the time elapses. Because yeah, each, talk, talk about each that. Show, because each shows, yeah, from a certain year, and 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 the story moves on so fast each time.
2: Now, I thought originally when I read that was as the premise, I thought that would be quite annoying. Only because you'd get so invested in what was happening and then years would pass by, a year would move on and you'd feel like you had to catch up with them again. But it didn't affect me at all in this, at all.
3: No. How did you find it? This is what Russell T Davies does. He, even in a show with loads and loads of characters, and sometimes the characters only have like a minute of screen time, it feels like they're fully formed people and it feels like they are integral to the plot. Even if they only come on the screen and say two sentences and walk off again you feel that like everything he's writing is for a reason and he does it was years and years he did it with this so many groups of people are there and you think well i'm not going to get to know all these people that there's so many of them and yet by the end of episode one you've fallen for everyone and you you understand you know their flaws and you you see them as people and that's an incredible gift i don't know how he does it
2: No, and I I was thinking, actually, because I genuinely believe, not to be too OTT, but I genuinely believe that this is one of the best British dramas there has ever been. And I don't, apart from Happy Valley and possibly Line of Duty, I don't think, over the course of the podcast, we've covered many shows over the last 10 years where I would say this is truly one of the best british dramas but i think it deserves to be up there with all of the greats that you can imagine all of the ones you hear about that you haven't seen it's a sin deserves to be up there it, i had such an interesting experience with it because and watching it through the lens as we are at the moment in the grips of a pandemic and seeing the parallels there and seeing how it was dealt with and how nonchalant they were about it how I could spend two episodes with a character, have them die in the third and be so bereft and have this sick feeling in my stomach I don't. I think only a handful of screenwriters have that ability and I, I, as you say I couldn't put my finger on how he does it, what he does but he gets into your brain in a way that very few screenwriters do, I think Sally Wainwright has that gift as well with happy valley you know immediately i knew who katherine Kaywood was and within minutes of this i knew who richie was he, I he's got that
3: humanity yeah. and empathy as a writer that's yeah, what it is
2: it's, it's, yeah that's exactly it and that's not to harp on but the shows we've just spoken about when you compare it when you compare it to this which is a tv masterpiece and you know shouldn't be held up as a comparison for most other things they do feel inherently hollow you know, but this just feels like we're in a world that is so completely formed and we've just popped into it and we feel welcomed and warm and hugged by them as well. There are moments of this that uh, will stick with me for the rest of time. There were moments of this that made me cry. There were moments that I wasn't so keen on and we'll get to those when we talk a bit more in-depthly, but I'm so glad that we can agree that this is great. Did you watch this on your own or with your girlfriend or, or what? what, what was Yeah, we watched it basically.
3: We basically had it. Basically watched it in one go. Yeah,
2: I, it's just one that, it. as you know, I've sort of come around to this binging model. It's all well and good, me not liking it, but it's what channels are doing. And I, I do think it, this is an example of you know, you you felt like you needed to keep going. You had a, it felt brilliantly episodic, but it had this propulsion to it where I'll just do another one. I'll just do another one. And I think although it's five episodes, those five episodes are perfectly paced. They're perfectly timed. The rhythms in them are wonderful. I can't praise it enough. If we if we if you were to say about um, any issues you
3: had with it, because I've got a few. What what would be yours? Can't really think of many, really, because I think you. I came out of every episode fully satisfied with the story being told. Oh, as
2: as did, I, as did I, yeah. But I. But what, I, I mean, my issue would be the Stephen Fry storyline.
3: Um, yeah,
2: yeah, I can kind of get that. Yeah, I just didn't. You know, it just distracted from from what was going on, and it didn't seem to tie up very well at the end, and it just felt like a bit of an add-on and again the distraction we spoke about it when we spoke about the first episode the distraction of having neil patrick harris in there yes he's a face yes he was on the billboards and and somebody to look out for but because he was doing this faux british accent i didn't and he wasn't part of that core gang that i was so invested in i i didn't feel that empathy towards him as much as i should have
3: um, I think what he does is is this, the subject matter is so dark at heart, but he just writes such a fine balance between the, the mm. you know death, disease, and you know, and all that, and all the political stuff, with such comedy and yeah. and, and heart and confidence,
2: confidence yeah. as well. And yeah. I've read, because it's premiered on HBO Max, which is HBO streaming service. It's there now, if you're listening in the US. And i uh, a majority of reviewers I've read have said exactly what we're saying. But they've said it's a hard sell because people think it's about AIDS, it's about death. You're going to become attached with those characters. But I think what we've all taken away is, as you say, it works because there's a lot of humour in there. These people aren't these people who are just destined to catch this disease and succumb to it. They're human beings they live in their life and their sexual orientation and their lives is just a, a small facet of them. Uh, but it's a hard sell for people because they think it's about doom and gloom. Uh, it's yeah. the complete opposite of that. It is uplifting. It is warm. It is sweet-natured. It never tips in to sugary or saccharine for me. It's it just manages it perfectly, and that's the,
3: bit... the... sorry. Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, that's the thing with Russell. Like as a writer, sometimes he can be prone to those cheesy moments. There's 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 one in particular where uh, he turns up at the rally, and then they all get into the same police van, and then he tells them he's got AIDS. That's the mm-hmm. first time they are literally there. You know, it's one of those coincidences you see on television. Oh, come on, that wouldn't happen. Yeah. But he makes it work because. Yeah. Because it's so charmingly told, if in the hands of another writer, another you'd like go, oh, for God's sake, don't be daft. But he yeah. just he gets it. He, he, he and he punctuates cheesy moments, high cheesy moments, with that that darkness that comes through it, and I think it just balances all all out really well. And I think that's why I
2: struggle so much because this sort of television I could talk about t- 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 for so long because it, it hits you. In all the right places. It is so layered. And so often we don't get to talk about that sort of show. Matt, if you've not disappeared to make a cup of tea or write well, a I haven't, book. I haven't. I
1: was just trying, yeah. you know, trying to let you have the floor. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I think just to that last comment you made, I think, you know, you need a little bit of everything. You know, if everything oh, was like it, it's a sin, you know. And, 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 I'd, be,
2: and, I'd be quite happy. Yeah. But I get your point.
1: Hmm. But it's, it's because we don't get a series like this all the time that it makes them more special. And, you, you know, you need the procedurals, you need the bunker stuff. And then you've got the stuff that has got this element of real life of, um, you know, pers- personal projects to it. And, yeah. uh, you know, reading around it, you know, the- Russell T Davies wanted a lot you know he wanted the eight episodes he shopped it around a lot of channels turned him down it was only when there was a change of the god at channel four that they agreed to pick it up they wanted it to be a four he agreed to a five I think you can see that to an extent I think especially I I felt Roscoe really got shortchanged you know you Mm. mentioned the Stephen Fry stuff and that seemed to dominate his story through the middle part of the series um but, you know the, the, you didn't I, when we when we reviewed the first episode we didn't see what had happened between him being kicked out of of home and and ending up at you know at the, at the bar you just yeah. it just went you, you missed it went from a to c without having that b bit in the middle and i felt a lot possibly a lot of roscoe's story ended up on the cutting room floor when he had to to sort of leave these episodes
4: selling your car to Carvana is as easy as as
1: easy as pie
4: sure all you have to do is enter your license plate or bin
1: as
0: easy as a stroll in the park
1: Episodes. But no, I mean I agree with both of you. You know, I I, I watched it. It start. You know, it started on the Friday. Obviously, right. you know, we want. I I wanted to wait until the Saturday till we'd finish speaking about it to to go on, and I'd finished it on the Wednesday. Um, and and you know, there are those really sort of poignant moments. The end of episode three with Colin, and, and obviously yeah. that scene on the on the beach uh, with with Keely Hawes. And and Lydia West, where she, you know, where we found out Richie's passed away. That's still, I think, that's going to stay with me for a long time. And
2: the brilliance of putting Keely Hawes and Ruth Sheen in the same room, and that what <laughs> the hell, what the hell did you see? What were you seeing
1: when you were talking to your boy? Mm. I just
2: think that was just that scene was so brilliant. On, and look,
1: you know, we we mentioned these these big stars turning up to do you know whether it's a Neil Patrick Harris or a Stephen Fry, but it's the you know like the the powerful actors who will turn up like Ruth Sheen turned up for that one scene. Yeah. Uh, Gary Lewis was in a couple of you know scenes in that episode as as um, Gloria's dad. Yeah. You know, there's the, the, uh, you know the the big names who will make an impression. People have heard of them, but then there's these. Character actors that you will recognise and will just deliver that that sort of punch in the one scene and, and and it's just the the ensemble of those you know those five residents of the pink palace and 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 their chemistry and 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 you believed in that friendship that you know even though we'd only been watching them for five hours that they'd been together for ten years and you know, I, you know I, I just felt like I'd like to have seen so much more and, and it's a shame that we've been deprived of that because people were so uncomfortable with putting this on because of the subject matter and feeling like what? it wouldn't reach a mainstream audience that seems to be the reluctance in the story that I've been reading that the, the major channels felt oh well, you know this won't appeal to, to a large um, you know a large viewership and it, it's just sort of coincidence that it has come along at the same time as, you know, we yeah, are going through this it pandemic. It supposed to months. be off
2: in, on in November, not, you know, November last year. They held it back and held it mm. back and ended up in January. I also saw, probably in the same article you've read, or maybe not, but I saw that some channels turned him down because they felt the story had been told before and that people would say, oh, we know all about the AIDS crisis and we know what happened. But as somebody who's been watching TV almost exclusively uh, (laughs) their entire lives i can say i have never seen this story that i have pretty much lived through okay my memory when it started is is virtually nothing but i you know my first proper feeling about it was freddie mercury in the 90s being a queen fan but Mm -hmm. um i can honestly say that it hasn't you know been shown on television to this degree and to, to uh, focus it around a group of people and then also you know have them experience it and be dismissive of it and be unsure of what they're dealing with and how can a virus know your sexuality and all that sort of stuff. And I found it all amazing, the parallels between what we're living in now, but also amazing that I've lived through something that's had such an impact on humanity and that I hadn't seen it up until this point dramatised in this way
3: yeah and i think what russell does and i think i easily did it in an interview he says he didn't want like the sex to be seedy he didn't want it to be like down the alleyways in the dark or something he wanted it to be like celebration and joyous because these were young people having fun and mm-hmm. what, what what it draws on is firstly their cynicism like you say and they're about a virus targeting gay people and all that but it's just a lot of it is about public perception you know the parents, uh, Keely Hawes and Sean Dooley, their treatment of him and their, the way they've made him, rep- you know, tried to repress him, and and yeah. put him down, made also, him. He- <sighs> also, the fact that he he'd made it as
2: an actor, yeah. and he he himself didn't want to admit that because it would stop him getting work, it would affect him in his career so there was even a a stigma and a prejudice within
1: themselves in a way
2: it's a such a done
1: thing. I, I, yeah, I think we, when they say we've seen things like this before, I think I think you know we've seen me and you, Luke, have, have, have watched two series of Pose, and I think in, yeah. in Pose though it's already a thing. You know, a- eight yeah. that community knows about AIDS. They're getting tested regularly. They've got loved ones passing away from it. It is a looming spectre in that community. I think you you mentioned Freddie Mercury. I was having this conversation with people in the office who had seen it. And and I think mo- the the sort of the first mainstream exposure to HIV and AIDS for a lot of people was Mark Fowler in EastEnders. Um, that was the first time I think that it had been talked about in a mainstream sh- program. That, you know, millions of people watched on a, on a daily basis. But I think the thing with it's a sim which I haven't seen done before is that it's slowly moving in. It's that you know it it, it goes from a a small article in the back pages of a newspaper in the first episode to there being a documentary about it on BBC one, you know, Mm. that no, not even medical professionals quite knowing how to deal with it at first. And obviously, you know, that that's where the allusions to, to COVID come in. But I think the, it being the start of the, the, the The the, crisis, the birth of it. And, and, you know the skepticism over these groups meeting in the gay bar to to sort of fight it, and and there's that gr- brilliant scene with Richie where he's talking about you know how people are saying it's spreading all the conspiracy theories. That it's just it, it is I don't think we'd seen that that no. slant on it before. I think and certainly in a in a drama. I do also, wonder whether whether it's resonating
2: more because what we're living through as well. I think, as brilliant as it is, I think there's a lot more... It has a lot more relatability, perhaps, for people, knowing that we're, we're living through a version of something that people are dismissive of or worried about continually and that can affect them all of a sudden.
3: Also, I think the way that the show deals with death is very eye-opening, and Max mentioned it earlier, the scene between Lydia White and Keely Horse on the seafront is, is one of those truly heart stopping moments of Telly because yep. I, at first I thought she was just pretending that he died so she'd go away because obviously they went to the Isle of Wight and then there was just that pause of, yep. of and then Lydia White walks away and then comes back and just says the truth that she needed to hear. And it's just like the way, that, the way his death happened off camera. And it was just, oh, he's died, he died yesterday. And then it just, silence, it's just. I wonder how you felt,
2: because um, that is a brilliant scene. And I would say, as great as as, uh, Ollie Alexander is in that finale, and Lydia West, it is Keely Hall's performance that I remember in that finale. How did you feel? Because for me, as vindictive and um, nasty-tongued as she was, I always saw her as this grieving mother who just couldn't come to terms. And I don't think you're supposed to view her through this nasty prism. Did you did you feel that? Or did you just find her really vindictive and misplaced? I think and... she
3: was vindictive towards the end purely because she was panicking and she she was yeah. just trying to protect her child. I, don't, I think the more vindictive in the relationship, she's character than that. Yeah, I mean but, but how, even he... she felt she felt like she was someone who was oppressed, oppressed yeah. by him. So
1: she, mm, I mean how, this is how rich he was. Uh, what, I, what I would say is, you know, it the presentation of that family was your very sort of sheltered we've lived a certain way. We followed how our parents have lived. You know, the fact they lived on the Isle of Wight as well, which is a very sort of, you know, sheltered community in itself that they expect, you know, that they expected him to go off to law school, become a solicitor, you know, be looked upon quite well and then even the reaction to him becoming an actor was was over the top and as you say i think that's why he wanted to keep his sexuality from them you know they were i i think they were quite a simple if you compare i suppose them to roscoe roscoe's parents and the way they reacted obviously very extremely they're very much the we're just getting on with things. We're the traditional family. There's we nothing don't rock the us. boat. We, yeah. we don't rock the boat. But you could see, you know, even before they found out about his illness, when she was on the phone wanting him to come back for Christmas and she, her saying, we haven't seen you for so long. You know, they, they, they struggled, I think, just to show emotion, just generally yeah. to, to deal with any sort of emotion. She, instead of saying, you know, I really want to see you. I haven't seen you for so long. She's like, oh, are you coming over for Christmas? that sort yeah. of thing, you know, there, there was, I think there was that subtlety there that this is a family who just like going through the motions don't want to, do, you know, there's that scene where they, the, the AIDS documentary comes on and they turn it over to watch Michael Barrymore on strike it lucky. You know, they, yeah. they, they, they want to bury their heads in the sand as much as yeah. possible. So when they this thing hits them, they don't quite know how to handle it. They're completely
2: and, unprepared yeah. for, for what's coming. And and why would it infiltrate Handle into their little well. lives? Yeah, exactly.
1: She said, I haven't handled this very well at all. And she she said, I that. and I, that's why I don't think she was a villain of the piece. Similarly, you know, Sean Dooley, I don't think was, you know, he was this man who acted a certain way, who, you know, felt he knew how to act as a husband and a father you know he there's that scene in the first episode where they're on the ferry and he's giving richie a condom and said you know look after yourself i don't want a grandchild you know it's yeah. he's, he's very this is the father and son chat i've got to have before you go off to uni you know they, they, there's that routine to that family i didn't find them a vindictive family no because neither that's, did I. What they, but that's what they believe you know that's, they're just that's how they're they following
2: a they're following a template really mm-hmm. those people mm-hmm. aren't they
3: that's what Russell does again. He's made it made it's made you have compassion for them because they are like they are, like you say, through their ignorance or through the way they've they've grown up themselves. It's not they're not actively being nasty. It's just the way they are.
2: Yeah. I also find myself, um, and I don't know what it is, probably says a lot about my psyche, but things like this and Cold Feet and stuff, where there's a core friendship group, do you think that? Obviously, these things are written about and dramatised. Do you think that these sort of friendship groups do exist? Do you, I like to believe that there is a friendship group like those on Cold Feet, like those on Friends, let's say, and like those on It's a Sin? I mean, I've never been invited to be a member of any of those groups. But yeah, do you do don't. You, you don't.
1: You don't have any friends in real life, really, do you? Not, no, not in real life, especially <laughs> with COVID. But so, what do you think, Michael?
2: Is it just that we're drawn to it because it's this friendship group that we want to be a part of? I mean, because have you ever experienced that where you've got a a clique or a group? No, no, not like that. Have you ever heard of anyone that's got that? Maybe I mean, mean,
1: I've got a group of friends who... No, I I don't believe it. (laughs) I mean, we're not as close as, like, say, the... Cold feet or the friends, but you know it, there was a long time where we would go out every Thursday night together, you know we were you know for years and years and years um That's you know we'd on all we'd all gone to you know we we've drifted a little bit i think recently as you do when you when you get older, but you know when we were all in our twenties we you know we would see each other at least once a week, so yeah i mean the i i i i was part of one of those groups, so uh, yes see.
2: he wins again.
1: What this has done is
3: made me revisit Cucumber because finally it is back on all four after being off for ages and I've wanted to rewatch it for ages. So I'm halfway through that and he does exactly the same things, all the same traits, but it's not predictable. You know, it's this big group of people. It's, you know, someone feeling repressed, the main character in that, and it's still so entertaining.
2: The interesting thing about Cucumber was uh, we reviewed it In 2013 when it went on And I don't think it had a great Impression on us but I wonder whether That was sort of done As a big It was a big deal by Channel 4 They had cucumber and banana And tofu and I I wonder whether we were just Sort of bamboozled by these Three shows all all in one go And and it didn't I mean there is a particular episode Of cucumber which is wonderful And I'd urge everybody to go Go and watch but I don't I don't remember thinking at the time, this is wonderful, I must continue I I
1: mean, I quite liked Banana, which was about the younger members of that, you know, because obviously it was, Cucumber's focus was this older gay couple, wasn't it? But there was then that connection to the younger gay community. And I think you see that in in It's a Sin as well. You know, it's it's younger protagonists. and, And that's what it was in Banana. Banana did focus on, a different character each time and i I think it was the first exposure to uh letitia wright as well who's gone on obviously to massive success in in the marvel films but i i i i enjoyed that more so than cucumber certainly at the time did you ever watch queer as folk michael just as a matter of um i watched it probably a few years ago but i didn't watch it at the time no okay and what were your opinions on that
3: I think it's probably dated. That's yeah. not the fault. that's not the fault of anyone. It's just one of those things. You can still see like the traits of what Russell's doing.
2: I mm. would agree with you. I revisited it, I think last year or the year before, and it's still the revolutionary thing that mm. people talk about. But we're just so we're just it's not shocking. And some of the performances. I mean Charlie Hunnam, who has gone on to success in the U.S just cannot act for Toffee. And he's very young, and he's, a, he's front and centre here, but he's just not a very I, compelling performance. I think this will hopefully overtake Queer as Folk when you talk about sort of quote-unquote you know, gay television, if that's even a thing that it shouldn't be. But this should overtake Queer as Folk, I think, on the mountain of great British drama. And I think,
1: you know, we've got a lot more acceptance in the last 21, 22 years, whereas, you know, when Queer as Folk came out, a lot of people dismissed it straight away. Um, And I think it was a risk. I heard Russell speaking recently when he's promoting It's a Sin, that it was a risk for the three actors who were part of it to take part in it in the first place and you know certainly two of the three of them Charlie Hunnam and um, Ain Gillen, have gone on to big success in in American TV series mm. um but yeah I, I remember it being on at the time and it being a little bit of a of a taboo subject and a bit of a taboo show i think i was would have been 15 16 when it was on originally and and remember it be remember it being a thing and 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 you know it was a shock to see that level of of sex scenes you know gay sex scenes on a mainstream channel um so so yeah and i uh, but i think now we've got this acceptance it's a lot more in the mainstream and uh, again i mean we've got young performers here in their first series but it works a lot more i think and the chemistry is there a lot more definitely Mm -hmm. if for some reason
2: you have not yet sat down to it's a sin please do it what are you doing? Don't I mean let Michael crack on with Bloodlands, and behind the behind her eyes, you crack on with it's a sin, please. Um, that is it for the podcast this week. Anyone wanna guess? I've got how much I've got to edit? An hour and twenty-eight minutes. Good luck. Thank you.
1: Um, you can. Most find, of that's uh, gold, though. To be
2: fair, most of it's Michael going on about behind her eyes. So. <laughs> A lot of that's not going to make it in. And even this conversation, I'll probably take out. So, why I started it, I've no idea. Um, you can find us online at the website, thecustardtv.com. You can find the podcast at pod on Twitter and all your podcast apps like ACAST, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all those places. Uh, you can even tell your Alexa Smart Speaker to play the Custard TV podcast, and she will. She's good like that. Um, also, you can find me on Twitter, at LukeCasterTV, Matt at Matt's TV Bites, and Michael can be found podcasting about the Manic Street Preachers. Mention your podcast again as a bit of a it's link. It's called
3: Manic Street Speakers. And how often does it come out? Uh, whenever I can get time. A bit like this <laughs> I mean, podcast at the moment. I mean,
1: honestly. you really should have called it a design for Mike, let's be honest, but, you know... Oh. I've
3: made that as a subheading
1: Yeah. No, no, Matt owns that now
2: <laughs> <laughs> You have to pay Matt every time That you use that now Okay, um, and you, where can you be found On Twitter if people want to follow you If people um, want to talk to you about that ending Of Behind Her Eyes when they get there Yeah,
3: no spoilers um, Yekim underscore Mikey Just Yekim is Mikey backwards Just, you know
2: You've made that hard for yourself unnecessarily, there. <laughs> okay. Thank you ever so much for joining us. We'll be back soon. This has been The Custard TV Podcast. Yeah.
1: Rate and review us wherever you find us. Search The Custard TV on YouTube, iTunes, and Facebook.